Put God first. Your presence in their lives gives them validation. Our children don't need us to be superheroes. If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. Men, stand up, be fathers. Hey guys, it's Mark, your host and founder of The Inspired Legacy. As always, this is the show that equips and inspires men just like you to unleash your inner lion and reveal your true purpose as spiritual leaders in your home. Well, on behalf of Father's Day, I wanted to revisit an older episode that aired back in 2019 in season one. And this episode uh, that I'm going to play for you guys is uh, an interview with Dr. Warren Farrell. And if you're familiar with Dr. Warren Farrell, he is a New York Times bestselling author of numerous books. But uh, this particular interview, we focus on his book called The Boy Crisis. And it it talks about the issue of fatherhood, but specifically fatherlessness. I think that we, in this day and age, we're seeing the impact of decades of absent fathers, fathers who are not actively involved in their children's lives. I think we're seeing it manifest in a lot of different ways in our culture today. And I want to just quickly read a few stats here. These are not necessarily from his book, um, but they're stats that I found online recently, and they jump out at you. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. And 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the average. Now, the the stats continue on, and, and we could probably fill quite a bit of time just going through all the stats out there that cover the issue of fatherlessness and how important fathers are to our, our culture and our society today. But I'm going to let Dr. Warren Farrell do the talking. Guys, this is a really, uh, it's an important topic, and it's a very interesting interview with Dr. Warren Farrell. And guys, again, happy Father's Day. Remember, you guys matter. Fatherhood matters. Your role as a father and as a spiritual leader in the home matters. So please step into that role, take it seriously. And I hope you all have a good day. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Warren Farrell. Dr. Warren Farrell, good evening and welcome to the Inspired Legacy Podcast. How are you? I'm very well and uh, happy to be with you. Well, we really appreciate your time and I know we have limited time with you tonight. So we're just going to dive right in. Today is May 2nd. And just a couple of days ago, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, on the campus of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, there was yet another shooting. And like it seems is always the case, the shooter was a male. And really, as far back as I can recall, doctor, the perpetrators of, I think, any mass shooting, at least in the U.S., has been males. So correct me there if I'm wrong, but clearly, doctor, there is something going on with our boys enlighten us here. What is going on in the minds of our young boys and teenagers? And is this part of what you refer to as the boy crisis? It is part of what, um, what, what I refer to as I say, boys are hurting and boys who hurt, hurt us. 
um, when testosterone is not channeled at all, it, it usually becomes channeled destructively. And when it's channeled well, usually by a father, usually by a biological father, it is channeled constructively. And so when boys are hurting and they don't have their testosterone channeled well, um, they comprise the, um, the, almost all the mass shooters. Um, but more, more remarkably than that, the mass shooters, not the shooters who shoot just one or two people, but the mass shooters who kill four or more, including usually themselves, um, have something else in common. Besides being male, they are almost always dad-deprived males, about 90% post-Columbine. Again, if you, if you look at the single you know, shooters that only kill one or two people, the, the percentage goes lower. But the mass shooters, the ones that usually do the, the really good planning or, or bad planning um, to, um, to shoot up multiple people and carry it out effectively, uh, who therefore obviously have it premeditated, uh, those are almost always not only male but dad-deprived males. Second, um, the prison population um, is 93% male, but of that 93% male, about 90% uh, of those males are dad-deprived males also. When I ran for governor of California and I spoke around at prison um, populations and um, just, you know, and when I talked to these men, uh, they were almost all uh, fathers themselves. And they, uh, when they heard how important fathers were, some of them started crying, just saying, I never knew I had that much value. I want to get out of here. I want to get home. I want to be able to, to, to prevent my children from doing the, making the mistakes that I made that put me here. The third group that very few people know about in relation to answering your questions is that it's not only the, um, you know, the, the mass shooters and the um, prison population. Your ISIS, when I was doing the research for the boy crisis, I looked at research on the um, ISIS recruits and found that almost all the ISIS recruits had in common um, being dad-deprived as well. Not only the male ISIS recruits, by the way, but also the much smaller percentage of female ISIS recruits uh, were dad-deprived. So what I looked, so I started looking, you know, this was research that came after I started to see that in all 56 of the largest developed nations, um, there, there are children, there is a boy crisis. And that boy crisis has about 10 causes to it, but the number one cause by a long shot is dad deprivation. Um, boys who have minimal or no father involvement usually have problem uh, have problems in up to about 70 different areas. Girls who have minimal or no father involvement have most of those problems. Some of them are different, um, but their problem, the, 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 the challenges emotionally, um, propensities towards suicide, video game addiction, um, mm -hmm. ADHD, they're, they're not as severe. They're, they're more severe among girls without dads than they are among girls that grow up in intact families or with father involvement, but they're not as severe as boys um, is or are. <laughs> wow. Those are some eyebrow-raising stats, to say the least. How did we get here as a society? Because, I mean, you go back to the history books, and obviously there, wasn't, there weren't mass shooters, you know, 50 years ago. How we got here when in... Um, uh, there was a in 1965 the Moynihan report came out 
and they looked at, um, it was a report done by Daniel Patrick Moynihan, a famous sociologist who worked for both Republicans and Democrats for, John, uh, for Johnson and, um, and uh, Nixon. And, the, um, and he d- did a huge study of what was causing so much crime in the inner cities. And many people were fearful that it would find that you know, African-Americans were the cause of the crime. But in fact, he found that was a secondary issue, that the issue was not African-Americans per se, the issue was the um, that among African American that African American families at that time in 1965, 25 percent of the children grew up without dads. So when he looked at the African American families where there were intact families where the fathers were involved, the crime level was very minimal. It was there, but very minimal. And um, whereas when he looked at the, he found that the crime rate was almost all not African Americans but families without fathers, most of whom were African-American, but it was the fatherlessness issue of 25% that was leading to the high crimes. Today, Caucasian families have 32% of the of the children are fatherless, and African-American families have more than 73% of children grow up in fatherless homes or minimal, or where the father is minimally involved, what I call dad-deprived homes. Wow, seventy three percent. That is a number that almost seems impossible to come back from. Yeah, it, the good news is that it isn't impossible. Father, if it, if you start having biological father involvement, uh, even at a later period in time, um, the the healing happens relatively quickly. Not with all children, um, but the 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 child children that feel that they've been abandoned by their father. Um, that they, they look in the mirror and they hear, especially children of divorce, um, who often hear bad things about the father. Your father is irresponsible. He's a liar. He's a narcissist. Um, and they look in the mirror and they say, my goodness, you know, my, my ears, eyes, nose, walk, um, are, is a lot like my father. I wonder whether I'm a liar, a narcissist, and whatever. And, but they don't know their father. So they don't, they, you know, this, this person that's being called a narcissist is a straw man who they don't know what the challenge is and, a real life situation is, and they just fear that they're going to become like them, like like that straw father. But if a father is, let's say, an alcoholic, and the you know the child knows him as a full human being, and and you know the father is helping the child to not become an alcoholic himself and warn him against the mistakes he's made, um, that connects the fa- the child um, uh, you know fairly quickly in most cases, unless the child is already severely addicted to drugs and is you know in a in a in a downhill march that he can't return, um, get back out of. Well, then that is encouraging. And I think it just goes to show that um, humans, you know, we are wired for connection specifically with our fathers and that connection between a boy and his father or daughters for that matter that I, I have to assume. And I think this is kind of what you're getting at that if there's any hint of um, reconciliation there, that, because a, a child is so desperate for that connection and that love from their father that if, if a father shows signs of coming back around and, and wanting to make amends for what they did wrong in the past, that, like you said, the healing happens fairly quickly. Yes. Uh, yes, it, yes, it, it can. And it, again, there, there, are, there are differences with different children and how far along they are. Um, and certainly the, 
by far in a best. One of the reasons that children do so much better with their fathers is that there is moms and dads have different styles of parenting, what I call mom style parenting and dad style parenting. Uh, for the most part, occasionally these are reversed and the, you know, the father's like a mother typically isn't vice versa. But, uh, the typical difference will be that let's say the uh, mother and father will, will tend to set boundaries almost exactly the same way. Uh, they'll both say, sweetie, uh, you can have your ice cream as soon as you finish your peas. And the children will, of course, test the boundaries. They'll try to have as few peas as possible before they get their ice cream. And the, but the reaction is in the enforcing of boundaries. Um, mom will tend to sort of say, okay, you know, the kids had a tough day. I'll tell you what, sweetie, uh, have this many more peas and maybe she'll take the knife and, and separate out 30 peas. And the child then goes ahead and says, okay, let's see how few I can get away with and has 20 of those 30 peas and says, okay, mom, I had the peas. Can I have, um, you, you know, can I have the ice cream? cream now. And mom will go, you know, well, you know, you really didn't have all 30 peas, but am I going to get into a big argument over a few peas on a tough day? The children, the, you know, the kids had a tough day. I don't want to turn these few precious moments we have together into a big argument. Okay, sweetie, you did try. You can have the ice cream. So what the child learns from a typical mom boundary enforcement is that boundaries aren't completely enforced and I, there's room for me to manipulate a better deal. With dads, the boundaries are much more likely to be, excuse me, we have a deal here. The deal is that you can't have your ice cream until you finish your peas. Uh, so you either finish your peas and you don't have to finish them, but then there's no ice cream either. Oh, you're so mean. Uh, well, your mommy's not like that. Well, you're not with mommy right now. And, um, and if you continue whining and complaining, there'll be no ice cream tomorrow night either, no matter what you do. Then the child is going, uh-oh, um, the only way out with dad is to finish my peas. I, I can't manipulate my way out. And so a number of things happen here. Um, what the child with the dad is more likely to learn, and again, this can be reversed, what the child with dad is more likely to learn is that I have no option but to focus my attention on doing what I have to do, finishing the peas, to get what I want, the ice cream. That creates postponed gratification. So children raised predominantly by dads are only one half as likely, only 15% of children raised predominantly by dads have ADHD, um, whereas 30% of children raised predominantly by moms have ADHD, despite the fact that the dads usually get the more problematic children to begin with. So, and one of the reasons for this, you can see in that example, is the child with the dad has no option but to focus on doing what he or she needs to do to get what they want to have. That postponed gratification has enormous um, implications in preventing the slippery slopes that happen that lead to boys getting into depression and other problems. So, for example, the boy without the postponed gratification goes to school. He gets distracted by texts. And, to, um, and, you know, uh, an invitation to do a new video game much more easily. Um, and so then he becomes disgusted with himself that he can't finish his homework as, as often, gets lower grades, doesn't get as much praise from teachers, doesn't get as much pride from, um, from his parents. And then it becomes boy-girl time. And, you know, or he doesn't do as well in his activities. He may be tall and strong, um, but he doesn't rehearse the drills that are necessary to be on the basketball team or the football team. And so, uh, and then it comes to boy-girl time, the girls are far more interested in dating winners than losers. And so he starts withdrawing, feeling that people are rejecting him, don't respect him. He has—he oftentimes was brought up by moms, has a lot of sensitivity, very sweet, 
um, but the sweetness and the sensitivity is not rewarded by girls as much as being strong and a good performer. So he feels really um, that, that the things he has that are of value are not valued, and so he begins to withdraw into video games and becomes addicted to video games, feels he only has friends that are virtual. Then it comes to boy, uh, the boy-girl time, he starts getting into porn because pornography is basically access to a variety of attractive women without fear of rejection at a price he can afford. <laughs> and um, he then goes ahead and starts getting addicted to porn. But porn means that every time he watches it, he's desensitized and he needs more exciting porn to, to stimulate new dopamine, which is the feel-good drug that keeps him motivated. And so, and, and therefore is what he needs to risk rejection in real life with real life women. And so, um, but then he gets, finally gets a real life woman to be within the framework of potentially being sexual with him. And the, what, the real life woman feels like, like he, she wants, he wants her to do things that like, you know, um, uh, that, that she doesn't want to do that pornography suggests uh, is normal, but she doesn't feel is normal. She feels objectified. She withdraws from him. He gets depressed at the withdrawal and goes, turns back to porn and the cycle is, is continued. And he becomes more and more of a quote loser, less and less, um, uh, more and more depressed, much more likely therefore to commit suicide, um, and go into deep depression or be so angry at the people that are rejecting him and not seeing what a sensitive, wonderful kid he is, uh, that he oftentimes um, may take it out on the school and become a school shooter or a mass shooter and basically say, I am so angry at the world for not seeing who I am. For one day, for one moment, I am going to make the world sorry that they didn't pay attention to me. Wow. You, doctor, you're scaring the heck out of me because, A, I've got a boy who really, we struggle with instant gratification in our house and we're very aware of it and we're constantly putting, you know, taking steps to correct it but also breaks my heart because i am sure you just described you know pick any one of the mass shooters over the last several years and i'm sure you just described their life to almost a to a t and that's uh that's kind of heartbreaking it, it really is heartbreaking and the positive side of it is the diagnosis allows for solutions and those solutions include things like creating a whole different cultural message that boys used to have a sense of purpose. Uh, their senses of purpose was to be disposable, disposable in war um, as warriors, disposable as full-time breadwinners, or you know, whether they were climbing up some ladder where they're um, economic ladder where they were having to work 60, 70 hours a week or driving uh, trucks or working the hazardous jobs. Um, basically, the, the prerequisite of masculinity is that you learned you are a man, therefore you serve, not that you are a man, therefore you deserve. Every every generation had its war, um, and the father and the mother, mostly the father, usually would encourage the boy to sort of participate in that war to serve his his country. And so, boys learn that that the bad, the good news today is we have fewer soldiers needed in war, and women are helping with the breadwinning role. Um, but the bad news is that boys have less sense of purpose. So, if you have a purpose void combined with a dad void. You have boys with no place to go. What it, dads are needed more now than ever, and we need to be sending out the cultural message that dads are needed more now than ever because in the old days, if you didn't have a dad, the culture told you what you could do to become a man. Mm, that's good. Today, if you don't have a dad, 
There's a dad void and the purpose void together leaves the boy purposeless. And when the boy goes to school and he finds that in addition to being purposeless, you are a male and the only thing that is associated with being male is toxic or perpetrator or a sexual harasser. And you're told that you see that the boys who are most active with girls are ones that take a lot of risk, but the ones that take a lot of risk are right at the edge of being the ones that are accused of sexual harassment. And if he's really sweet and kind and, and, and very um, considerate to girls, oftentimes girls say, you're really sweet and I'd like to be a friend, but they, they're not turned on oftentimes by that sweetness and the, behind his back, he's often called a wimp. And so he's often caught between a rock and a hard place is, you know, is my role to be more assertive uh, or is my role to be um, more um, more cautious and careful and considerate? Um, and so there there's so many things that are happening today that that when you have the purpose void, the dad void, and then the um, then masculinity associated in such negative ways, and especially if you're a white male, you're you're basically told you know you, you've um, you're part of the patriarchy, you've dominated and oppressed us, and as opposed to um, you know looking at you as a human being rather than judging you in a category. Wow, this is so eye-opening, and I have a million questions, and I know we're already getting towards the end of our time here. I just need to finish reading your book is what I need to do. But <laughs> May I just interrupt you for a second? You bet. Um, if, if, our, if your listener is listening and you're, you're jumping into the boy crisis, two things. I would suggest going right to the chapters, part four, um, on the 10 chapters on what dads and moms do differently and why dads are so important and why dads need to, in a loving way, share with moms the types of values of things like the roughhousing or the roughhousing that I talk about or the boundary enforcement and um, and some of the, you know, the different styles of parenting so that because the children that do the best are ones that have a what I call checks and balance parenting, a, a, a balancing act between mom being able to explain to dad, dad, you know, sweetie, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that child growing this, you know, completely climbing that tree or jumping off that, you know, that, that, um, that high set of rocks, um, and, and coming to a compromise where the child can have both safety, but take risks, um, can get lost for a while, but not get lost forever. Uh, those are the types of things that, that create, um, some of the children that turn out the best. And uh, when I was researching the boy crisis, I was really, um, very, I educated myself a great deal on how that balance could be achieved and especially um, take a look at the section in, in the boy crisis on the on family dinner nights and how family dinner nights can be conducted in such a way that they don't become family dinner nightmares and the topics that need to be discussed and why it's so important to dis- to to bring up controversial topics and why uh, why the process needs to rotate among the people who are facilitating the conversations and so a whole series of things that really make um, family dinner nights the things that kids look most forward to as opposed to they're just feeling like they you know, wish they would prefer to be on their electronics. Uh, that's outstanding stuff. And again, I, I need to sit down and just make time to finish reading this book. But doctor, I know you've got to run. Um, before I let you go real quick, as we think about the, the boy crisis and all that that entails, you know, we're all about legacy here on this podcast. And so when you think about an inspired legacy through the lens of the boy crisis, what does that mean to you? What is your definition of an inspired legacy? 
Well, I think it's a lot of, uh, for me, it's sort of being more in, uh, more involved as a dad, saying, recognizing that if you're earning, if your family income is sixty, seventy thousand dollars or more a year, that we now have good hard data to know that the time with the children does far, is, is far more, that dad's time is far more important than dad's time once you get past basically taking care of your rent and taking care of your, um, uh, uh, you know, basically putting food on the table and having clothes on your back. And so uh, most people, even if they don't have that in the area where they can live, they can move to another area that's less expensive and do that. But the, that dad time is so crucial. Uh, secondly, if you're a mom and dad um, without, um, you know, without a, a biological father involved, um, you know, part of the legacy that you can be inspired to live to your, leave your children with is the legacy of getting them involved with um, Boy Scouts, with Cub Scouts. Cub Scouts especially have a huge track record of uh, increasing the character of your child. Um, the um, you 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 need if you really want to make something happen in the long run for your child and other people's children, work with your school system to get uh, male teachers uh, in very significant numbers in first, second, third grade. Especially if you live in a in a if your child is growing up in a home where there's um, a, um, um, only a mom at home, you don't want your child to be going from a female only home to a female only school in first, second, and third grades, and then ask the question. Gee, I wonder why my child is in search of a, a, a gang leader or a drug dealer to um, to, to to have um, a sense of um, direction and authoritarian personality. Um, and so those are some, uh, you know, just a few of the things that you can do. Get your children involved in sports, not just team sports, not just, but also individual sports, and also uh, make sure that you, your children get involved, especially your boys, in pick up team sports at, at playgrounds where there's nobody setting the rules, where your child has to experiment with um, new people coming into the playground, um, creating creating the rules of what you know what the boundaries are, um, who who to pick, how to get along with who to pick spontaneously, with not having a coach rescue you, um, but but having a but doing at the same time making sure that in addition to the pick up team sports, you also have um, organized team sports and uh, that your child is involved in. So those are those are a few things that can that can give your child the, the you know that that you can leave behind uh, for your child to 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 have the best possible life and therefore the best possible outcome for their children. I love it. Great advice. Doctor, thank you again for your time. I know you've got to run. Uh, and I know we just scratched the surface of all there is to talk about. Again, I got to sit down and read the book and I encourage my readers to do the same. Doctor, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure talking with you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, it's very eye-opening, a little sobering, but I think a great reminder to you guys who are really plugged into your role as fathers. Again, kudos, stay with it. Don't get discouraged. And if you know other men out there who are challenged um, at home, if they're if they're having troubles with their kids, um, if you sense that maybe they're starting to give up or or tune out, just step in. You know, ask them if they need help. Uh, we need more men helping other men raise the next generation. And on that note, if you guys are looking to keep your axe sharp by surrounding yourself with other like-minded dads. I want to invite you to 
join our free and private Facebook group. In that group, you're going to find encouragement, support, accountability, spiritual growth. Uh, and we, in that group, we frequently talk um, a lot about the things that have come up in this episode. So there's a link to that group in the show notes of this episode. Again, I want to thank you guys for listening. Remember, subscribe, leave a review, and share our message because I really do believe that when we work together to lift up fatherhood, we're going to change the world one dad at a time. Until next time, live inspired. 